Welcome, Boomexers. Let's throw out the old playbook. It's time to tear down the traditional way of looking at your life and money. And leverage the laws of money to our advantage. That's right. There are laws of money. And those who learn and leverage the laws of money win. And sometimes win big. Stay tuned as asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle, educator and leader of the Boomex Nation, shows us how. Beginners, investors, entrepreneurs, fellow attorneys, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's arm this ball. Now, here's the Boomex Show. The Laws of Money. Welcome back. The topic today is taxes and death. Death and taxes are the two certainties in life. Now, I have a, a special friend to give me my sounding board, my friend, my, at this point, colleague in the podcast world. And her name is Michelle Mendoza. And you have met her before on the prior episodes about limited liability companies. Michelle, how is that going? Do you, did you follow the steps I laid out for you? Yeah, what we're doing right now is working on some of the nuances lightly. Yeah, that's right. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to take you back in time if I can figure out how this fancy machine works on my desk. I'm going to, I'm going to push a button. My TARDIS. Uh, yeah, it's a contraption. And uh, if this contraption works correctly, it will generate sound that I hope you can hear. And when you hear this sound, I'm wondering if it will take you back to your childhood, the way it takes me back to the childhood. And then once you hear it, I'm going to ask you if you can identify it, and then we're going to see if we can understand about uh, something a little bit more about the American political system. Are you ready? There we go. I'm ready. Let's play the game. You sure got to climb a lot of steps to get to this Capitol building here in Washington. I wonder who that sad little <laughs> scrap of paper is. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a yes, bill. I'm only and a I'm bill. standing here I'm on Capitol Hill. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, so Schoolhouse Rock. Whatever happened to Schoolhouse Rock? I, so Schoolhouse Rock just brings you back to circa 1970, whatever it was. And... Yeah, I actually think about that quite a bit as an attorney. And if you're unfamiliar or you probably, if you were in your 30s, maybe, or younger, you would have no idea what we're talking about. But there's all these musicals coming out, like Mamma Mia is a great musical. Hamilton is about Alexander Hamilton. There's even one about um, Mormon, the Book of Mormons. Wouldn't it be great to have in law school, there's three years of law school. The first year is called 1L, a musical of 1L. And it's basically... Uh, like the preamble you just did, songs about the law. <laughs> Why not? Come on. If you're going to have one about the Book of Mormon, you can have one about the Constitution or the tax code. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. No, you don't think people would buy that right. ticket? <laughs> I, I'm hoping it would make it less boring, but well, uh, it, you I know, will give you this. You have a way of bringing it to life. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> I don't I do my best to make the tax code interesting. That should be my epitaph at the end of my life. But we've off mic, we've talked about, I brought you up to speed on these new tax increases that affect the rich more so than the middle class. But in the military, we talked about like concept of blowback or the fog of war, unintended consequences. I just curious, is it okay to tax the rich? And is it really 330,000 jobs might be lost? All, all of these complications what what do you think as a person who's not as immersed in it as i am i'm trying to get some kind of 
rational, <laughs> better, reasonable person to you know guide guide us. It's it's really it's baffling in a in a way because it it seems that the marker for where we what we consider rich, how do we really determine that? And it seems that. Congress usually determines it's someone who makes a little bit more than me. I don't know how that works. Our tax code is as confusing to me as it was filing uh, for my business license. There's a lot to it that I just don't understand. And that if everyone has to do it, for it to be so complicated is it just seems a bit inane to me where I might be more in favor of a flat tax that just takes all of the guesswork and all of the deductions and all of the ways that big companies and people with lots of money can get out of paying taxes. But regular folks like me, we we just don't have that power. I'm wondering if if we've just tried to a politicize taxes way too much, B, decide uh, decide that those are the rich because they make more than me. And finally, if it wouldn't just be easier to simplify the tax code and uh, do something like a flat tax, everyone pays 3%, everyone pays 5%, boom. Yeah, the American tax system is, uh, we have marginal tax brackets, and it's said to be progressive, meaning the more you make, the more you're taxed, which makes like in sense of fairness, it's not fair for a super high net worth individual with hundreds of millions of dollars to pay 3%, whereas a person who's living below the poverty line to, to pay the same amount because the impact on the family's um, comfort, support, health, and even their maintenance is just proportionately, it's just much higher for the poor people than it is for the rich people. And even at the, you think even at a, at a yes, at a small percent, it is different, but at a 3%. Okay. There's no way 3% is going to finance the government <laughs> like that. 3%. No, no. no one's going to argue with 3%. The tax no, brackets indeed. are starting it. However, when you have people who are extraordinarily rich that are pretty much paying nothing, we walk through that with our last president. Really? How much are you paying for your taxes? Well, this Would is a guy that tried to deduct. I don't know. This is the guy who tried to deduct $52,000 for hair product. <laughs> First of all, there is no provision in the tax code that allows a deduction for hair product. Period. Second well, of all, not $52,000. I think a lot of hairdressers might, might disagree yeah, with that. Well, that's called tax fraud. <laughs> But no, I don't mean to denigrate anybody. It, that to me was just a little bit humorous. In tax law, there's this expression, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered, meaning you know what your deductions are and you have a, a moral and even a legal duty really to leverage lawful deductions. And some people are more aggressive on that than others. For example, in business, as you will learn once you get this thing filed, is there is a meals and entertainment deduction. But it's limited to – it's not a 100% deduction. It's a 50% deduction. But you know, business people go out and they schmooze other business people, business-to-business bu- bu- business networking, trying to land deal in restaurants and you know shows and re- recreation. There's a, a deduction for that. Now, me personally, I've always been very conservative on meals and deduction because – Usually the guys I was trying to schmooze were also my friends. We're doing business together and we're going out and watching the game. We're not really talking about business except we're complaining <laughs> about something. But other business owners would be very aggressive about that. And I know I personally believe 
that uh, deduction for hair product. It's just there's no category for something like that for the president to claim. Not for the president. No. Not for the president. <laughs> Anybody else like me? I'm completely bald. Maybe that would help. But uh, and what's I'm not sure this is very relevant. But I took a, um, a, a class in law school that was taught by Cyrus Vance Jr. Now Cyrus Vance is a famous name. He was um, a Democrat, and he was appointed. Um, Google it because he was I think he's on the Kennedy administration for years and years. He's like a famous lawyer. His son is Cyrus Vance Jr. and uh, he was a very bright man, and we, I felt very lucky to have this course um, taught by him, and I was one of his students, and he uh, was known for being the Tylenol murder prosecutor, and I don't know if you remember this, but back in what the late 80s or early 90s, somebody was putting poison in Tylenol pills. You remember that case? Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, in the yeah. grocery stores. Like, you just go in and buy Tylenol, and somebody had poisoned it. And they tracked this guy down. How you can find a DNA, I don't even know. But he was the prosecutor and successfully prosecuted the defendant in, in those cases. He's now the prosecutor in the um, Trump tax evasion cases in New York City. And that's state law, not federal law. And I'm like, man, I, that's the one guy I wouldn't want to <laughs> prosecuting me for tax fraud, I'll tell you that. But when I look at these tax proposals, we're talking about my wheelhouse is estate tax, mostly estate tax, capital gains tax to some extent. Now, Michelle, when you buy a stock, and let's just assume it's not in your retirement account. So, you know, you get your IRA or your 401k or your SEP or your 403b. Those are all employment-based um, retirement savings accounts that have special treatment under the law. And the way it works is if you make a investment within certain parameters into your uh, retirement account, you get a tax deduction for that. So if you make $100,000 and you um, and are allowed to invest $13,000 into your SEP, self-employment pension, which is probably something that you should think about with, for your business, then you can deduct $13,000 from your overall gross income to derive at your taxable income. So now you've made this contribution. So you didn't make 100000 You made $100,000, but your taxable income is reduced to 87000 So that's an example of tax deduction. What's amazing about it is the gain that occurs inside of that account is also tax-deferred. So if you bought a stock inside of your SEP, Microsoft, Apple, Starbucks, Costco, whatever, and it appreciated from $100 a share to $150 a share, if it was in a different kind of account and you sold it, you would have to pay a tax, an income tax, a capital gains tax. If it's inside of the retirement account, you do not. And so you've got compounded tax deferral inside of your retirement account. And so one of the reasons why I'm on, on you about getting your business formed is so that you can set up one of these retirement accounts for yourself and start making contributions. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, yeah, but I can do that even without a business. I can do that with an IRA. That's what you were thinking, right? The silence you were hearing is... <laughs> um, yes. Well, okay, but the point yes. is um, <laughs> you can make... Far larger <laughs> contributions. But yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, that's. Yeah, well, I don't even know because I've always had a retirement account inside of my business. So I don't even really know what the IRA 
contribution limits are, I think they're low, like 3,000, 2,003 or 4. Google that, very low. However, with something like a a self-employment pension, I can make contributions that has the exact same tax deferral and tax deductions against income as the IRA, but can contribute far more into the into the retirement account. And I'm trying to say in a polite way, these tax proposals are significant. Now, if you're going from something that was 28% for some high net worth individuals up to 43%, that's real money. That's an astounding increase in tax for some people. Now, you're not going into business to be poor. Uh, it seems like you're it seems like some people no, are saying let's, I, let's I'm hope, not, certainly hope not. I'm not rich, so it doesn't apply to me. I know, but you're an American and Americans want to be rich. That's like what our goal is to be wealthy. And it just like understanding how these rules work is important and m- moving money into categories that aren't subject to this tax is a financially responsible decision. Concede that. I'm waiting for your concession. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's no, but, demanded of I, me. I will give it I, to you. I, no, but look, it's, it's a hard topic. It really is. Do you, you think I would much rather play Schoolhouse Rock again? Another conjunction, junction, what's your function? I always pat myself because I remember that one. Remember conjunction, junction, what's your function? But there, we can't make money on that. And we can't make money on tax savings, but we can avoid paying unnecessary tax to the government especially when they're in this tax-obsessed. This is, in t- this is insane. I mean, these increases. For the record, M- Michelle and I are pretty good friends, and we have different political views. I tend to be left of center. She tends to be of me. It <laughs> doesn't mean she's conservative, but on many issues, I'm more liberal. However, I'm also a fiscal conservative, which I know doesn't make sense, but think about it. I'm a business owner, first of all, so all business owners are concerned about the fact that um, businesses pay higher taxes. For example... The tax proposals will increase the um, corporate tax rate. I had it right here. I had it memorized. Just get, be patient. <laughs> I'm going to find it. The corporate tax rate to 28%. I'll find it before the podcast is over. That's a substantial increase in the, the taxation on a C-corp, for example. All business owners, we don't like that because what we think we can do is we can take that money that the government's going to take from us and we can invest it better. Like this proposal will have an effect on the economy in some ways, a negative effect in some ways, for sure. And it's just all about policy. Like um, this, are you curious what these um, tax increases will pay for? Like what the idea is? We can know what the idea is, but with all of the pork, do we ever really know? But overreaching, let's talk about what are they meant to pay for? Yeah, so one is infrastructure. Like that, that's like the big thing. So roads, bridges, whatnot. And I'm old enough to, like, I used to believe everything. If I read it, I believed it. Uh, And now I just, older and crankier. And so I'm like, hmm. What I've noticed is all of a sudden something becomes a fad. And I I conducted a a webinar for some of my clients. And I was talking about the recession because the government has been printing money. Four years ago, when COVID broke out, the government just started sending out stimulus checks. And so all this money is going out the door. They're increasing the, the monetary supply of the United States government. It's not as if C- Congress and the president 
took up paper routes, made money, and they're giving it to the American people. They just made more money and sent it out. That caused inflation, and then interest rates were down at zero. All this has to be paid back. <laughs> like, there is no such thing as a free lunch, right? Now, right around that same time, all of a sudden, everyone was concerned about infrastructure. I'd never heard that before. Like, I hadn't heard that our roads were bad. I've been on I-5. You want to see bad roads, come to Puerto Rico. When I drive on roads in Florida, and I drove all the way from the United, I drove from Seattle, Washington, down to Miami. I didn't see any bad roads. I didn't see any bad bridges. But everybody believes the infrastructure is a problem now, all of a sudden. Remember uh, the Reagan days when um, there were $13,000 toilet seats and $15,000 hammers? <laughs> Remember that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was a real thing. You would see a $15,000 hammers coming from the uh, Pentagon. Yeah. And suddenly we're going, huh, what are our tax dollars? I can guarantee you it wasn't a $50,000 hammer. It was a $5 hammer and a 4900 4, blah, 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 going to Ecuador to the, you know, the freedom fighters. That's like government fraud is what that was. Now, for, for this, it's infrastructure. But if you read the proposal, it's also soft infrastructure. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, hard infrastructure I get. All of a sudden, Americans believe that bridges are bad. I've been over the Narrows Bridge a lot. I, it looks good to me. And then soft infrastructure is things like medical and vision benefits under the Medicaid program. So it's one of the things is a Medicaid expansion. And that's how we keep the people of America healthier. And that's what we're spending the money on. And it really is a, a, a monetary battle that is is related to hard infrastructure of America, but also the social structure of America. And it could go down in history as one of the most, it could be like, remember Lyndon Baines Johnson, the Great Society after Kennedy was killed? For example, Medicaid was invented after John F. Kennedy was killed. There was so much sympathy for the president and that Lyndon Baines Johnson had so much goodwill. Which plays into the idea never let a good tragedy go to waste. Yeah, he's going to ride that pony for sure. And he did a good job because think about American values. It So on one hand, I'm a fiscal conservative. I'll share that with you. However, I'm also an elder law attorney, which is a social worker. <laughs> like elder law attorneys are basically social workers because we're trying to help people who are suffering and there are. I have traveled to countries, India, and I stepped over um, a, a corpse in the street in India. I've seen uh, people with elephantitis in, in in this world. We don't have those kind of values here in America. Um, we don't. We, we we consider it an American value to not let our disabled and elderly die like that. And but it all comes at a price tag. Um, this is a hard topic to get your brain around. I think what's going to happen, from what I can understand is it's got to go through, it's in Ways and Means Committee now in the House, and then it has to go to the Senate. Some prominent Democrats are already talking about now, it's going to be more like a 25% tax. So all of this is going to be scaled down quite a bit. And uh, I don't know, it may not even go through. It impacts you and me because businesses will start, I don't know, it may cause, I think my worry is just, how fragile the economy is right now. We're just getting over a recession. <laughs> and like businesses have been given so much free money that the stock market- Some has, have, but others have 
because they've been forced yeah. into obscurity. So what a weird time we're in. Yeah, that, that's the problem is c- consumer confidence and spending in some categories has gone up. But for the most growth flatlined or decreased in some categories, but the stock market went crazy because there was so much money pumped into the economy. They could go out and buy stocks and do all this stuff. So, so they're spending on the business side, but not on the consumer side. And that historically has been the formula for a economic depression, not a recession, but a depression. And now you're throwing in taxes on the wealthy and taxes on um, high net worth individuals and increased corporate tax and the worry is that they'll just stop spending and then we'll have a set point. I mean, we need to get back to stock prices, for example, being s- related to actual production. I believe we're in a bubble. And so it'll be, I can't wait to see what happened. I've absconded to Puerto Rico, which is part of the United States, <laughs> but there's no capital gains tax here. There's it's, no- like a, it's like a mini absconding. Yeah, <laughs> it's just well, a- yeah. <laughs> Um, the corporate tax rate under I'm a partial expat. <laughs> yeah, the the flat Act sixty American businesses can move to Puerto Rico and pay four percent corporate tax compared to the twenty eight percent that Biden's. Now I don't know about you, but if, if I could figure out a way, I, in fact I have. And that's one of the reasons I'm here over in Rincon, which is about yeah, uh, uh, and set up your couch because as I'm setting up my business and realizing how much I'm going to have to pay. <laughs> Uh, I don't have to say that. I got an air mattress. I'll bring you my own use. pillow. I just <laughs> yeah. need your couch. Yeah. It, it'll be fun. I don't know. It, people get worked up about t- taxes. And one thing that does bother me, and, and then I'll conclude, the most generous provision in the tax code is not in the income tax part of the book. It's in the estate tax part. And, and it's referred to as step up in basis. And step up in basis, that is a misnomer. It's not a step up in basis. It's an adjustment in basis. And here's the way it works. You buy, you're from Washington State, and a lot of my clients in Washington State, Hood, there's Hood Canal. And if, if you're not from Washington, pull up Google Earth and just look at Hood Canal. It's on the Puget Sound, and the ocean kind of flows into this wonderful finger-like, arm-like, then finger-like body of water. And a lot of people have built recreational cabins on the Hood Canal or on the coast or wherever. There's no special treatment for recreational property. Like a personal residence, when you sell it, if you're single as or married, you get a um, capital gains tax exclusion. There's no special category for other types of real estate. Except for commercial, I guess you could do an exchange. But personal, there's not. Now, a little old ladies, my clients, I can think of one in particular, Woke up one day and she just decided, I'm going to give my Hood Canal property that's worth a million dollars to my only heir, my nephew. And so she recorded a deed. The problem was when the son or nephew turns around and sells it, he's going to have to pay capital gains tax. The amount that he's going to pay for capital gains tax is the difference between the amount she paid and the amount he sold it for. So if you... Buy it for $100,000. That's called the capital um, tax basis, tax basis. When you sell it, that's proceeds, and you pay a capital gain, a long-term or short-term capital gains tax on the difference between, in this case, a million dollars. So she bought it for a hundred, and it was assessed at a million. 
So you're paying long-term capital gains tax on 900000 using the techniques that she <laughs> used. That rule applies to everybody. However, the estate tax code says if you die and leave the cabin to your nephew who, in your last will and testament, who then turns around and sells it, his tax basis adjusts to the fair market value of the asset at the time of her death, which means she bought it for 100000 If she sold it, she would pay capital gains tax. If she waits until she dies and gives it to her heir, he can turn around and sell it the very next day, and his tax basis is fair market value. He pays no capital gains tax. It's astounding. It's the most generous provision in the tax code. Now, wow. that provision is under attack. Okay, as people are listening, can you just give us all just a moment to go, thank God for small favors. Yeah. <laughs> There's something good. Let's just celebrate that for We have so much to go. Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. Ouch again. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Just that one small favor. Take that moment. Enjoy it. We can, I can get you Make even more better. excited about it. There are 12 community property states in America, right? Now, those 12 community property, it means all the assets acquired after the date of marriage is part of the community, marital community. And each spouse owns an undivided, I'm going to repeat that, undivided equal share of the community property. Now, you would think if husband and wife bought a hood canal property and then um, sold it, they pay a capital gains tax, correct? Now, what happens if they don't sell it and one spouse um, dies? Does is step up in basis for his half, undivided equal share, or is it for the entire asset? In a community property state, hmm. because it's undivided, it's a complete step up in basis. Even the half that's owned, like the mental map, by the spouse that's still alive. So you buy it at 100, you sell it at a million, first spouse dies, there's a double step up in basis to the fair market value. She can, the surviving spouse can turn around and sell it the very next day and pay no uh, capital gains tax at all. However, if you live in Oregon, Oregon's not a community property state. It's not. California is, Idaho is, Texas is, Wisconsin is, Arizona, New Mexico, I think Hawaii, Idaho. They are all community property states. They would get this double step up in basis. Every other state would only have half of the assets stepped up. Do you know how to get around that? That's, how do you get around that? Okay, so Alaska, believe it or not, has is a quasi community property state. They can't make up their minds, and so you can actually elect to have property treated as um, community property in Alaska. So you could form a trust in Alaska that has its jurisdiction in Alaska with an Alaska-based trust company. If you move real estate into it, the, the real estate becomes personal property, but it's wrapped in an LLC, and even in a different state, have a double step up in basis if you follow those rules. See, my friend, if you understand the tax code. You can, you're not making money, but as compared to the guy who didn't do it correctly, you're making money. And it's guaranteed, it's mathematically guaranteed. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boom X Show Laws of Money podcast, where asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle breaks down the complicated rules of estate, retirement, and even long term care planning. You can listen to past episodes of The Boom X Show by going to boomxshow.com or subscribing right from your smartphone's podcast player. To take a deeper dive, 
Join as a free member in the BoomX Academy and you'll be automatically enrolled in the show's companion courses where you can find enhanced content and many of the show's important episodes. Enroll now by visiting BoomXAcademy.com. That's BoomXAcademy.com.